Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 10 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Scoogle. The Pleasure That Comes from Charity In addition, as charity flows from a noble and gracious temperament, so it is accompanied by the greatest satisfaction and pleasure. It is a delight to the soul to feel itself enlarged, to be delivered from those disquieting and deformed passions, malice, hatred, and envy, and to become gentle, sweet, and benign. Had I my choice of all the things that might promote my present happiness, I would settle on this to have my heart possessed of the greatest kindness and affection toward all men and women in the world. I am sure that this would help me to share in the happiness of others, their inward qualities as well as their outward prosperity. Everything that was to their benefit or advantage would afford me great comfort and pleasure. And though I should frequently meet with occasions of grief or pain in their lives, Yet there is a sweetness in commiseration that would make it infinitely more desirable than unfeeling insensitivity. Consideration of the infinite goodness and wisdom whereby God governs the world ought to subdue any excess of distress arising from particular calamities. Indeed, the hopes and possibilities of happiness hereafter should moderate sorrow about our present misfortunes. Certainly, next to love and enjoyment of God, the ardent charity and affection with which blessed souls embrace one another is rightly to be reckoned as the greatest happiness even in heaven itself, and were it to prevail universally in the world, it would foreshadow the blessedness and give us a foretaste of the joys of heaven here and now. The Excellence of Purity I have named purity as the third branch of religion. You may remember that I described it as consisting of a contempt for the sensual pleasures as well as a resolve to undergo those troubles and pains that we may meet in the performance of our duty. Now the very mention of purity may suffice to recommend it as a noble and excellent quality. There is no bondage so base as that whereby a person becomes a slave to their own lusts. Nor is any victory so glorious as that which is gained over them. The person who is sunk in the vulgar and gaudy pleasures of sense, or bewitched by the shallow and miry gratifications of whim, can never be capable of anything that is noble or worthy. But the religious soul is of a more sublime and divine temperament. He knows that he was made for something higher and scorns to take a single step out of the way of holiness in order to participate in any of these things. The delight afforded by purity. Purity is accompanied by a great deal of pleasure. Whatever defiles the soul disturbs it too. 
All impure delights have a sting in them and leave trouble in their wake. Excess and intemperance and all inordinate lusts are such enemies to the health of the body, as well as to other interests of the present life, that any thinking man, with but a little consideration, ought to avoid them for these reasons alone. And if the religious person aims higher, not only abstaining from harmful pleasures, but denying himself even those that are innocent, this should not be regarded as severe and unnatural restraint, but as the consequence of a better choice. His mind is liberated so that he can pursue more sublime and refined delights, and so that he cannot concern himself with something lower. Any person that is engaged in passionate affection will easily ignore more ordinary pleasures. He will have little interest in his diet or his bodily comforts or the trivial recreations in which he once delighted. No wonder, then, that souls overpowered by divine love despise inferior pleasures and are almost ready to grudge the body necessary sustenance for its day-to-day existence, judging such things to be irrelevant to their chief happiness and the higher enjoyments that they are keen to pursue. As for the hardships they meet, they rejoice in them as opportunities to exercise their faith. And since they are able to do so little for God, they are glad of the honor to suffer for him. The Excellence of Humility The last branch of religion is humility, and however much this may appear to vulgar and carnal eyes as an abject, base, and despicable quality, yet really the human soul is not capable of a higher and more noble endowment. It is silly ignorance that gives rise to pride, but humility arises from a close acquaintance with excellent things. Humility keeps us from doting on trifles or admiring ourselves because of some petty attainment. Noble and well-educated souls do not hold a high opinion of their riches, beauty, strength, or other such advantages that they value because of them, nor do they despise those who are lacking in them. As for inward integrity and authentic goodness, awareness of the divine goodness gives them a due sense of proportion as to their own attainments. In this way, they are able to rise beyond themselves toward the infinite excellencies that they admire. I do not know what thoughts people have of humility, but I see almost every person trying hard to appear to be humble, shunning those expressions and actions as may be considered arrogant and presumptuous, so that those who desire praise the most are actually loath to commend themselves. Thus, do not the compliments and politenesses that are so frequent in our ordinary conversation usually consist of so many declarations of our esteem for others and the low thoughts we have of ourselves? 
All this suggests that humility is reckoned to be a noble and excellent attribute, given that the very shadows of it are regarded as such a necessary hallmark of good preening. The pleasure and sweetness of a humble temperament. The grace of humility is accompanied by a great deal of happiness and tranquility. The proud and arrogant person is a trouble to all who have dealings with them, but most of all, to themselves. Everything seems to vex a person like that, and scarcely anything is sufficient to content and please them. He is ready to quarrel about everything that is not just right, as if he himself were such a person of note that God Almighty should do everything to gratify him, and all creatures of heaven and earth should wait upon him and conform to his will. The leaves of high trees shake with every blast of wind, and in the same way every breath, every evil word, will disquiet an arrogant man. But the humble man is at an advantage when he is despised in that no one can think more meanly of him than he already does of himself. Therefore, he is not troubled at any matter, but can bear reproaches that would wound another person to their soul. And since he is less vulnerable to injuries, they have less power to threaten him. Contention that comes from pride leads a person into a thousand inconveniences that those of a meek and lowly temperament seldom encounter. True and genuine humility procures admiration and love from among all wise and discerning persons, while pride is self-defeating in its purpose and deprives a man of the honor to which he so aspires. Now, as the principal exercises of humility are those that relate to Almighty God, so are they accompanied by the greatest satisfaction and sweetness. It is impossible to express the great pleasure and delight that religious men and women feel in the lowest prostration of their souls before God. When a deep sense of the divine majesty and glory takes hold, they sink, if I may so speak, to the deepest part of their beings and almost seem to vanish and disappear in the presence of God. They consciously acknowledge their own nothingness and the poverty and the imperfections of their attainments. They are able to understand the full sense and emphasis of the psalmist's exclamations when he said, Lord, what is man? Psalm 144.3, and can utter these words with the same feeling. Never did any haughty or ambitious man receive the praises and applause of men with so much pleasure as the humble and religious man renounces them. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Psalm 115.1. So I have spoken something about the excellencies and advantage of religion in its several branches. But it would be quite injurious of me to pretend 
that I have given a perfect account of my subject. Let us acquaint ourselves with it, my dear friend. Let us acquaint ourselves with religion, but experience will teach us more than all that has ever been spoken or written about it. And if we sense that the soul is already awakened and is consciously longing for great blessedness, it will be good to give expression to those longings and have them directed to the highest objectives. This concludes episode 10 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Skugel.